You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. We are in the second week of a lengthy series. We're calling the Great Verses. And so, well, you can just open the Bible anywhere, and there's just fantastic great verses. But we've outlined 20 that will take us into the fall. And we're doing this on purpose. We're trying to give you all uh, and our church a, a more panoramic understanding of the Bible. And so we're in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham and Isaac and Uh, The title of this message is Training Yes, Trying No. All right, Training Yes, Trying No, as we look at the lives of these two. Now, I kind of told you that we would be looking at one verse, but I can't do justice to the story if you don't let me read the whole thing. So picking it up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, and then we will pray. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So, what did Abraham do? So, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with them and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son to which you can all say hallelujah. They went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him, from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. Everybody say, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Father, we we read your scriptures. We are in awe of you. We are in absolute awe of you. 
And so now at this moment, will you teach and help and guide us, change and transform us. Let the word of your power be operating in us and toward us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen, amen. amen. Woo! That's, that's for reals right there. Training, yes. Trying, no. Training, yes. Trying, no. This is, this is the pinnacle of Abraham's faith in life. He's an old man. He's been walking with God for a long time. I want you to understand, he's not been trying to walk with God. God has actually been training him. He's actually been training his faith, and he's been cooperating God in the training exercise of that faith. And once you understand that's a real distinction of faith, where God wants to train us. He's calling us in New Testament terms to be his disciples. And that comes with training. Glory demands training. It's purposeful and liberating. Carnality demands trying, which is sad and defeating. And that's the difference. Jesus based his entire plan of redemption on training 12 men and a few women. Talk about training. So I was going to bring a weight. I said, no, I'm not going to bring a weight to have an illustration, you know. I realize the college pastor has kind of never left me. So, so anyway, I use this band every day. <laughs> I do. And uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't choke anybody else out with that. But, you know, let's talk about training, all right? I just told you I do this every day. Now, just to do this in 30 seconds, I do it to heal my body because I have damage to my cervical collar and a few other things from a serious automobile accident. And so I got trained that if I did certain things every day a certain way, that my body would heal and I would be fine. And so I train every day and my body is healed and fine, partly why I'm here this day. But let's, let's talk about training versus trying. Here's what most people are like when they get instruction like that from a therapist, when they get instruction like that from a doctor, and then they, they, just, they just look at it right there they put it right there. Yeah, I, 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 I wonder if I feel like that. Oh, man, I just, I don't know, man. That, that show was really good, and I, I don't know if I feel like training day. I don't really feel like training, but man, it just hurts all over. It hurts all over. Okay, man, well, I guess I'll try. I guess I'll try. Okay, I tried. I tried. There it is. I put it down right there. I look, you know, I don't want to want to be silly and stupid doing this. So, okay, the dog, so they want me to do this. But, you know, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray. And there, I'm healed because I prayed. I prayed. Ow, that doesn't work right. It still hurts. It still hurts. So, okay, right? That's trying. It does not work. Training works. I get up every day and I do my training exercises and I don't have pain right? So I get up every day. I don't care if it looks silly, right? And I start doing my things. I start doing my things. So I have my, I have my sons in there. They go, Dad, are you doing your training today? Yeah, you look, you look stupid doing that. I go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to whoop you in about five minutes right about here because I'm going to get that pain out of my neck. My cervical collar is going to be real fine. And then you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me today, do you, son? You better start, you better start running. That's right. That's right. Because your dad's a 60-year-old and I still run sprints. Oh, you can't outrun me, can you, anymore? That's right, because you're a 20-year-old being stupid. And that's right. So you're going to be getting tired, all right? So we're going to be doing that. So, so see, we, we, we feel uncomfortable doing that. And we think about trying. I'll do it when I feel like it when I'm in the mood, when I'm motivated, when I'm inspired, then I'll do it. That's trying. No. I train because I know. 
I know what's coming. I know in this context, age is coming. I know that I'm training because I want to go on a vacation with my wife. I want to go do fun things. I want to preach the gospel. I don't want any chronic pain. I want the life that God has for me. And so I'm going to get up every day, as stupid and silly as it looks, I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's training. That's training. That's training. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't understand. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. Yeah, well, go to bed earlier. Turn off the TV. Get off the phone and get on your knees because that's where miracles go. You don't open your Bible when you feel like it. You don't walk with God when you feel like it. I'm training. I'm going to heaven. And I want miracles. And I want blessings. I want to experience power. I want friendship. I want my church to win. I want my community to be changed. I want my family to be changed. I want to be a man of God. I've been a man of the flesh. I've been a man of the carnality. I know that. Decided the street. I say no to it. I want this one. So I'm going to train. I'm going to get up. I'm going to attend church classes. I'm going to take classes so I can know. I'm going to go to special meetings. I'm going to meet with people. I'm going to humble myself before men, young and old. I'm going to be training. Training is not when you feel like it. Training is when you have a purpose and a passion and a godly desire in your life, and you say, I want it, and I will pay the price every day to have it because it's worth it. It's training. It's real. We don't have training. We think of that so differently. Trying is temperamental. Training is hunger for God. And that's what we want to be. We want to have that. Jesus based his entire plan of redemption that we are walking in the power of that today on training 12 men and a handful of women. That's how powerful and effective training is. So I'm going to go through... Uh, I'm going to call it Theology 1, Theology 2, which is just a way of understanding some of the deeper waters of this text. And then I got a lot of bullet points and principles, and then we're going to see how it goes. You guys up for it? Okay, let's see where we go here. Theology 1, Abraham and Isaac. So just write down Theology 1, Abraham and Isaac. God trained Abraham and Isaac for this moment. So if you're looking at this and you're saying, how did they get there? How did they get there? It's all that training. There's a total history and story for it. Some of it has failure. Don't think it doesn't have failure. Some of it has failure. Some of it has carnality to it. But especially in the case of Abraham, they learned and they grew. But God trained Abraham for this moment. Abraham is seriously an old guy. Walking with the Lord, to which I just say amen. Isaac is a young man. He's in his probably mid-late teens. He's a young adult. He's probably um, you know, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. And you can tell that his father trained him because you're going to notice that Isaac is actually cooperating with his father very easily, that he trained him for that. And so that's not an easy thing in human behavior. You know, and I have great sons. I really do. And actually, we just have the greatest relationship. And it's really, in so many ways, only gotten sweeter and better as the, as the years have gone on. But it was training sort of say, hey, son, could you, you know, and it's just natural. Like, you know, son, could you get me that over there? Like, dad, seriously. I'm 12 years old doing nothing. I don't want to do anything right now. Okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm asking for you to give me the, you know, uh, cloth so I can dry the dishes that you dirtied. I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm 12 years old. I don't want to do anything. Really? Well, I'll choke you out right now. 
Okay, okay, I'm coming, Dad, I'm coming. Okay, so, so we have that as we develop, but as we develop, as we develop, we understand, right? So now I'm in my 20s, and right, and the kids are coming, hey, Dad, get out of here, I'm going to do the dishes. Praise Jesus. Yeah. That's just part, part of training. Abraham was a seriously gold guy. Isaac was a young, late teen. Jesus uses Abraham, this is how important Abraham is, to show the Jews that he's God. That's in John 8:48 when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And, and they get it. Like, they really get it. They go, are you trying to, are you actually, Jesus, trying to say that you know Father Abraham? Father Abraham has been dead thousands of years. How do you know that guy? Because I'm the son of God who stepped out of heaven before Abraham was. I existed and birthed the world into, into creation. I am. And they got them. They tried to kill him for it. Paul uses uh, Abraham in Romans chapter 4, to teach a phrase called justification by faith, which is a simple way of saying, what great thing did Abraham do for God to save and choose him to be called the father, really, of all, of all the monotheistic religions, but in terms of the messianic line of Christ, what great thing did Abraham do? Can you tell me? No, you can't. And it's not because you didn't read the Bible. It's because there is none. There, there's nothing so magnificent about his life, special about his life, testimonial about his life to say that God chooses him, except God says, as God, I reserve the right to choose. And I chose this man and I gave him grace and I'm going to use him greatly. And Paul will say, that's exactly how it works. Because all of us now in the new covenant through the cross can be saved. And it's not because of our righteousness. What great thing have we done? Nothing. I mean, if you're a successful businessman or woman, good for you. That's not going to do it. You can't be that good. Are you going to say that you, you know, morally pure? Uh, <laughs> might want to think about that. You have 100% holy and pure motives? Yeah, go talk to the mirror. That's the only person listening to that one. You got nothing. That's why we're all here. You know, that's why we get saved. So Paul, in, in Romans chapter 4, he was going to write like a dissertation why it's sometimes a little difficult to understand, but we are saved by grace through faith. And God protects and covers Abraham and every step of the way, which is why he is so inspiring for us to see how God would treat him because God wants to treat you in the same way. Isaac will carry the wood on his back and, and, it's, and it's reminiscent of the cross. I, I, Isaac, his son, is going to have wood on his back and he's going to carry it to the place of Moriah. Moriah is a place of where the temple is going to be and he's going to carry it there to that place. He's going to be reminiscent of the cross. I think it's interesting that Isaac asked good questions. You know, we tend to not think we can't ask questions of God. Ask questions of God, believe it or not, he's pretty smart. He likes talking. And God's going to answer questions for you. And so Isaac asked questions. Hey, where is the sacrifice? And, and of course, the answer is God will provide for himself a sacrifice. Yes? yes? Okay, let's talk about this word. I'm still winding down what I'm calling this theology one, Abraham and Isaac. All right, so I'm going to differ, if you've studied this text, I'm going to differ from some of my more modern academics. I'm going to go with actually some rabbis from the time of Jesus. 
So if you know the phrase, Jehovah Jireh, raise your hand. You ever heard that? Okay, yeah, Jehovah. So we sing songs, right? Do you want me to sing a song for you called Jehovah Jireh? You should say no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Okay, so, so Jehovah Jireh is fine. That's, the, that's the, the Lord or God will provide. However, however, there is some academic work that goes to saying Jehovah Jireh. I'm here to tell you that the manuscript evidence is actually Yahweh Ra'ah. Now you're saying, so what? What does that mean? I'm so glad that you asked that. Okay. Jehovah Jireh. Everybody say Ra. Okay, that is the actual word with the right consonants. Yahweh, I am that I am. Ra'ah is different than how Jireh was configured in the sense of God will provide. Ra'ah is... It's, it's why I'm going there. It's deeper, and you're going to love it. It's richer, and you're going to see it. Because ra'ah means that God sees. That's what ra'ah means. You want to transliterate in English, it would be R-A-A and then dash A. That's what it is, ra'ah. And ra'ah means that God sees. But in seeing, that's not all the word is. It's that God sees inside of you, is actually inside of you, and experiencing all that you are experiencing as you see the world. That's ra'ah. He's inside of you. He's seeing all that you're going through. Are you sad? He sees it. But he doesn't just see it. He experiences your sadness. He experiences your brokenness. He experiences your disappointment. He actually can hear everything inside you because he's Yahweh, the existence, and then he is inside you experiencing your life because he loves you. That's why he provides. That's why the translation is God the provider. That's why it's Jehovah Jireh. It's Yahweh Ra'ah, God who sees. But in seeing, he experiences you in the deepest and richest and most personal way. It actually affects the answers to prayer. Which is why you might say, I don't know how to pray. God's got you. He's got you. He knows. Isaac saw Abraham choose him at great cost. Things weren't quite right between Hagar and Ishmael and all of that story. And, and Abraham doesn't necessarily handle it right, and neither does his wife. But he saw his father choose him at great cost, as Jesus has chosen you at great cost. He saw, he saw that this, his father would make peace, peace in various places in the storyline around his life. And uh, Beersheba, as an example, is actually a place that becomes quite sacred because uh, Isaac was able to see his father's leadership uh, instead of being a man of war, being a man of peace. He saw his father actually come to a place where he'd be honoring his mother, and God would train Abraham, train him over and over again to hear his voice, train him over and over again to experience grace and forgiveness, train him over and over again in assurance, and train him over again to watch displays of his power. It's incredible, incredible. Let's go to theology too, what I'm calling here. Theology 2 is why the sacrifice. Okay, so why the sacrifice? So listen, we just have to say this. God was never going to kill Isaac. Okay, you have to get your mind around that. You have to understand that. He was never going to kill Isaac. Now, 
Hebrews tells us what Abraham was thinking. Abraham was thinking, okay, well, this is the promised child, so then somehow, somehow God's going to have to resurrect him from the dead. That's what Abraham's thinking. That's not what God was thinking. God was thinking that Abraham's going to be faithful, and I'm never going to let this kid get killed. God was never going to kill Isaac. That was not the purpose. The purpose was actually of different fold. Killing and sacrifices, Isaac accomplished nothing. Isaac was not the Savior. So if Isaac dies, what does that do? It accomplishes nothing. His Sinful human blood does nothing in the economy of God. Jesus, that's another story. God knew they would pass the test because they trained him for it. The purpose, though, the purpose is this. Okay, let's talk about blood sacrifice. All right, so, so you perhaps think, if you haven't read the book of Hebrews thoroughly, you might think that blood sacrifice might somehow in the Old Testament have justified you, but it did not do that. Blood sacrifice actually did something different. It created a sacred space so that you could enter into the economy of God, a sacred space so that you could have God's presence and not die. That's what it did. You come into the sacred space without the blood and you're going to die because that holiness is going to contact you and there's going to be sin there and you're just, it's not going to go well for you. If you want to see a tremendous example of that in the scriptures, you could read in the book of Exodus when God's presence comes on what's called the mountain of fire and God's presence coming on, the, on a, in the physical geography of planet earth without any blood sacrifice is literally barbecuing this mountain. That's God's presence and the intensity of it and the reality of it. And so when we would come to the temple, when you came to the tabernacle as an example beforehand, you notice that the sacrifices weren't necessarily in all of the individual camps. You actually came together and you came where the priest was to sacrifice there so that God's presence did not harm you, so that a holiness could come upon you for a moment and so that you could be right with God in that sense book of Hebrews explains all of that and says the blood of bulls and goats doesn't satisfy that. Christ as God satisfies that. You can once and for all have a relationship with God. The purpose of Abraham's life in this moment was actually to go to Jerusalem proper, to go to where the temple mount would be, to go to where the cross would be, and to create in that place a unique sacred space by God would actually just drive down a, a, a post, a signpost, and says, I am here, and I will always be here, and this will always be my land, and this will always belong to me. And you should know that's what God's doing in your life. And there are, there are things in your life where God is trying to put a flagpost and say, this area of your life, it belongs to me uniquely. Another area of your life, this belongs to me uniquely. And he's trying to train you for it, to understand that. The sacrifice in the old covenant was to create a, a sacredness around a, a sort of locality. Sacrifice of Christ in the new covenant is to tear down the bondage of sin to tear down the bondage of death, to tear down the bondage of demons that can trouble you, and to break the back of all of those things so you can be liberated and free, that you can be blessed of God. That's theology one, Abraham and Isaac. Theology two, why the sacrifice? Let me go through my bullet points and see, see how we're doing. Let's talk first and foremost about God's grace base training process. So here's what, when God's going to train you to operate in faith the way Abraham and Isaac were in this story, he's going to actually have a grace-based 
training program. And so it goes like this. You're going to find yourself sinful. So I'm sure if I said, okay, raise your hand if you've ever felt sinful. How many people are going to raise your hand, right? Everyone's going to raise your hand. Okay, so fine. So now we got that. So you're sinful. You're going to find yourself sinful, saved or not. And then Christ is going to come and save you. And now, now you're going to be weak. Going to experience this weakness, right? You have this sinfulness, you're going to have this weakness, but you're going to grow, you're going to grow because God's going to grow you, and then you're going to go into maturity. And then you're going to get into maturity. And this is where, even for myself, I sometimes can stumble a little bit because I feel like I'm getting mature. I feel like I'm getting mature. You're going to like maturity, right? So you get mature, but you know what happens after maturity? You get broken. Wait, 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 what just, what just happened? I left sin behind. <laughs> that was great. And then, you know, I left weakness behind, and that's hallelujah. And now I'm maturing. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. What, I'm broken? Oh, oh, how, how, how I'm broken. Yeah. And then God's going to do what he needs to do so she can go in this last phase of being completely unstoppable. And that's what he has for you, to take you from this place of being sinful and then weak and then mature and then broken to being unstoppable in the new covenant of Christ. That's grace-based training that Abraham and Isaac and Abraham more in detail went through. Grace-based training, secondly, two kinds of tests. So, boy, people really stumble over this. The idea that God will test you. God's not going to test you for evil, but God will test you because he knows and he's training you to pass the test. Now, I'm just going to outline two very quickly. There's, there's a test for dramatic change. Okay, dramatic, dramatic change. There's a test for that. And that's like sort of Peter when he's tested to identify with Christ. And he denies Christ three times in front of a little girl. And he actually fails that test. But the failure of that test would actually give him conviction uh, when Pentecost Sunday would come. So there's one for dramatic change. I'll use Peter for the second time to talk about not just a test for dramatic change, but there's also a test for incredible glory. And so related to incredible glory, that's Pentecost. And that's where the Holy Spirit would come. Now here's, here's Pentecost. Jesus is with the 12 and, and then ultimately a few others. And he tells them to wait and the Holy Spirit's going to come. All right. How good are you at waiting? I'm terrible at it. Oh my goodness. I would just say most of my sinfulness comes from not waiting. Like, Rick Soto, can you just wait two more minutes? No, I can't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that very well. Like, oh, you know, let's get going, right? I was birthed to get things done. Let's go. Oh. So the Lord doesn't tell them all the details. He says, wait. Everybody say, wait. wait. You know what they did? Peter, after having learned from dramatic change and denying Christ, he waits. The opposite of what he's like in the flesh, but he waits. And he makes everybody else wait because the Lord said. And so now we're going to have Pentecost Sunday. Boom, tongues of fire. Tremendous, tremendous promise. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone. And they're so full of joy and power. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. And they think they're, they're drunk. And so Peter has to stand up and says, Hey, everyone, no one's going to say the wrong things about God. We're not drunk as some of you suppose. Guess what happened? Jesus Christ, who you put on the cross, he is resurrected from the dead. And everything he's promised is upon us right now in the Holy Spirit. Now shut up and listen to the plan of God. Okay, real paraphrase on that. Grace-based training, there's two kinds of tests, dramatic change and incredible glory. 
There's more, but for our outline, we'll just stay there. Grace-based training, third. There's habits, and habits are different than hope. I kind of went through this enough in terms of the illustration of training, but I just want to sit here for a few moments that so many people fall down with false hope. And so hope requires the laws of sowing and reaping to be activated. So I, I'm just talking to my church here. I don't know who else is ever going to listen to this, but I'm telling you, I know you all. And one of the things that our church and people are just so troubled with is that they have hope and they have hope and they have hope and they are not sowing into that hope. Expecting to reap, you have to sow into hope. It's the laws of sowing and reaping and they manifest hope. I don't care what it is. Love in your marriage, finances, uh, righteousness, uh, leadership, uh, happiness, health. You just name it. You have to sow into it. So you can reap. There's false hope, and we don't want to have false hope. Habits create a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so, and so you get up, and you do it. You just do it. And that creates what God wants so that you can actually be a reaper, and he'll bring it to you. Next, grace-based training, faith versus foolishness. So related to faith, people are off on this as well. Where, listen, related to faith, just ask yourself if you're a person who can execute and is true to your word. I'm not talking about perfection with that. I mean the conviction of it. I mean the conviction of it. I, I, I had somebody, I had somebody, I mean, I get tested on this all the time because I'm kind of a loud mouth by personality. And so I have been humbled. I have been humbled. I've been Rick Soto. Don't say a thing. And I say something. A few months ago, somebody came to me, and I don't know these people. I've kind of told somebody this story. And, uh, and they said, hey, hey, Pastor, would you do us a favor? Because God's doing something in our life, and so would you come live with us for a day and a night and tell us about Jesus? No. Like, I, don't, I don't know you. Like why, why, why am I going to come live a day and a night with you? I don't, I don't know you. I don't even like you. Where do you live? Like, do you, do you cook good food? I don't know. Like, you know, why, why would I come spend a day and a night with you? You know, and so, so, so what do I say? What do I say? I say yes. Oh, Soto, you just have never learned righteousness, have you? I come home and tell my cute wife that she walks out of the room. It's just like, what, well, I don't, I don't, what, who are these people? I go, I go there. I go there. So now, now I, I told him, I go, look, I got a lot of things going on in my personal life. So here's the deal. I will not forget, but you're just going to have to give me some time. You know, there's going to be you know, six, seven months, but I, I will circle back around. And so, so it, I got time. I'm now going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go live with these people that I don't know for day and night. Hopefully they come to Jesus and tell them about Jesus, all that kind of stuff. And I remember telling my wife I'm, as I'm driving down, I go, here are numbers of friends around me just in case they're going to liberate my head, you know, just in case <laughs> something goes bad, you could find me. I remember walking out. She goes, are you, sh- are you sure about this? I Rick, I've known you a long time, you know, like, but this is, this is, this is up there. Like, you know, it's pretty weird. So I go there, I live with these people for day and night to tell them about Jesus. It's actually the most positive, wonderful thing, right? And I'd like to tell you at the moment they came to Christ, but they didn't. They just actually told me that they got on their knees and accepted Christ and the Lord just a couple days ago. So yeah, hallelujah for that, right? So, 
Are you a person who can find the faith to be true to your word and execute? You'll have faith. Whatever, you, whatever faith is, is going to require you to do. If you believe it, you're actually going to do it. That's the nature of faith. Faith isn't like, oh, I hope somewhere out there might happen. Faith is that I believe people come to Christ, so somewhere you're going to tell people about Jesus Christ. Faith is I believe God answers prayer, so you will actually pray. Pray in accordance to expecting prayer to be answered. Faith is I believe that I can actually manifest the love of God as God loves me, I can love another person. So I will, even though I might want to choke somebody out, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, I will actually find the faith to actually love that person in a way that they can receive love and grace and kindness. Next, grace-based training, run for home. Okay, talking things out versus flaming out. When I look at this story here, what I realized related to the training of these two, it's just so obvious that Abraham and Isaac were used to talking to one another. They were, they were used to, as a father and a son, having a conversation and talking things out. And so, so many of us and so many people will flame out because they're not used to talking things out. And you need to talk things out. It's how you're based in your humanity. So you, you need to join a small group. You need to come to our services during the week. You need to come up for prayer. You need to come for special times of prayer. You need to come into our office. You need to come one-on-one. -on -one. You need to talk things out. Ah, some of you are going to pop. <laughs> you know, you're going to pop. And I understand what it's like to carry pain and grief and have a hard time talking. So the start of that is... Pastor, pray for me. I'm having a hard time talking. <laughs> that's, that's the beginning of it. It's okay. I'm having a hard time talking. Look at marriage conference one-on-one. -on -one. Having a hard time in your marriage? Tell the other person, I'm having a hard time talking to you right now. That's the beginning of kind of talking the right way. I know we got a little quiet on that, didn't we? Father and son here were used to talking to one another. They were used to talking to one another. They were used to talking to one another because they were used to listening to one another. And I find it interesting that Isaac did not argue with his father. He actually was listening to his father. I find it interesting that Abraham did not blow Isaac off, but actually let him know God is going to do something here. God will actually provide. Grace-based training comes to the point where you understand that it's God's power and not my power. It's God's power to do all. It's God's power for all righteousness. It's God's power to heal me. It's God's power to save me. It's God's power to seal me. It's God's power to carry me. It's God's power to honor my humility before him. It's God's power to grow my faith, enrich my faith. It's God's power to draw me near to his heart. It's God's power to draw me near to his heart so I can experience love like I've never experienced over and over again. It's God's power to assure me. It's God's power to assure me that today's okay and tomorrow's going to be okay. It's God's power to do all of that. It's God's power, not my power. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.